Uh, it's up there on the board that it's worthy woman or a virtuous woman. Whenever you hear this in being good Bible students, where do you think that we would start with that? Proverbs 31. Most everybody within the church knows to start in Proverbs 31. I'm going to do a little different. I need you to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. But you are right. Proverbs 31. In Genesis 1, we know that we call it the creation. Um, some Bibles say it's the history of creation. And in verse 3, it says, there, Let there be light, and there was light. In verse 4, And God saw the light, and what did He say about it? It was good. You go down a little farther, just... Picking out a few in verse 10, God called the dry land earth and gathering together the waters, he called the seas and God saw that it was. When we go down a little farther to verse 12, it says the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seeds. And he talks about that and he said, God saw that it was what again? It was good. Same thing in verse 18, it was good. Verse 21, at the very end, I'm reading out of the New King James, it says it was good. When you go to verse 25, it was good, and still in chapter 1. Now, when you go to chapter 2, and you look at verse 18, Genesis 2 and 18. In fact, I'll start at 16. Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is good that you should be alone. Is that what it says? It says, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper. And how is that helper, how does it read in your Bible? Does it mean it's going to be a different person? Does it mean it's better than, than we are? Or, or how is it? It says, fit for him. Mine says, comparable to him. I'm sorry. Right. So here's a situation that as we see this, we see that God set in order male, female, husband, and wife, didn't he? There has been a problem within the world today, and hopefully if we have time, I'll show you a couple of slides on it, that there's a mistake about the roles for women, aren't there? And... There are people that believe that they should go away from the Scripture and their role should be different. Well, we're going to look at the worthy woman and see, or the virtuous woman, and find out 
a little bit on how her role has evolved through this chapter 31. When you look at it in the American Standard Version, it says the worthy woman, uh, NASV, New American Standard, is excellent, and the King James says virtuous, and most of us grew up with the virtuous woman. When you go a little farther, virtuous means might, strength, power, moral strength, and integrity. So there is, is something to the Lord giving us in the inspired word the idea that this virtuous woman has integrity, the moral strength. And we know that probably every mother in here has let her daughter read uh, chapter 31. When you think about that and think about the roles that women have played in the Bible, women have been very notable in the Bible. I mean, I know we call Abraham the father of faith, but there have been women that are important in the Bible. You take Ruth, there's a book, Ruth, and in 3.11 it says, for all the people of my town know that you are what? You are this virtuous woman. When you think about Eunice and Lois and Timothy, when Paul wrote to them, he says, I know your faith, and where did it come from? Came from your mother Eunice, and what? Your grandmother Lois. The ladies were involved with Timothy, weren't they? And then Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, here we have it that it was blessed are you among women. And you can go on and on. I, I put a few more down here on the bottom. Uh, Sarah with Abraham, Hannah with Samuel. And you can go on and on and on. I put Deborah in there to get brownie points as the first judge. Um, put her in the middle. But you see Esther, another book. Aquila and Priscilla taught together, didn't they? You see Dorcas, you see others. Um, when you go to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, you see the genealogy of Christ. How many women are listed in that genealogy? Four. Do you remember who they are? Any guesses since we've... Rahab's one of them. Tamar. Bathsheba's one. And Ruth. We also know, and Deborah and I were even talking today, uh, heard a sermon there at Oak Mountain on the value of women, and Bob Hutto said that there were three of them that were Gentiles. So it's not just the Jewish ladies that were important. People saw that women were an important role. They take an important role now. It's nothing different. We're not minimizing ladies. What we're saying is men have a role, the ladies have a role, don't we? And that's 
the authoritative end with the Bible, not, not me. When you think about that, we'll go on a little farther. When you go to um, the 31st chapter, there's an interesting thing here that I've put up the, the Hebrew alphabet or the Hebrew consonants. And what the theologians say that each verse from 10 to the end of the verse, uh, end of, of the chapter, starts with a Hebrew alphabet. Now remember the Hebrew reads from right to left. So it starts with Aleph and ends with Tau. And it's interesting that as you think about this, that one of the encyclopedias, actually a Jewish encyclopedia called uh, Judica, said that these acrostics fulfill several important functions. It simplified learning by heart because of the logical order of the beginning letters of the lines. It helped the student to prevent mistakes and deletions by knowing which letter came next. When I saw this, I said, this must be pretty important, verses 10 through the end of the chapter, because they've done this acrostic. When you go a little farther, your rabbis, different rabbis, and I didn't put their names, they indicated that this meant completeness, that it meant wholeness because it was from A to Z. Others meant that they were alphabetical and that they covered it from A to Z and it was like God doing the alpha and the omega. And one of the other ones said the, the letter alpha literally means to study and shows this priority in the life of Jews. The last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, tau, means truth. It indicates what the final goal of every action of the reader of the Torah should be. You know, when, when we look at this, this is not just saying, well, you, you need to take a little bit of interest in the ladies. It's saying it's important, isn't it? That what the ladies do, and we know what they do, they do a lot. It's not just being here, they do a lot. If you turn to Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31. We're going to read part of this as we go, Proverbs 31 and verse 10. The first way that I put up about the virtuous woman or the worthy woman is her value. When we talk about value in today's world, you and I want value when we go to the store. We're a consumer, aren't we? We want the value. Ladies want the value at the grocery store. Here, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, says that this virtuous or this worthy woman has value. In 31 in verse 10 of, of Proverbs, it says, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? So here you're looking 
at this worthy woman that's priceless, according to this verse. That not only is is her value priceless, but it's priceless to her husband, isn't it? It's a a value-oriented relationship that this jewel, crowning jewel, has been given to man by who? By God. We started in Genesis, didn't we? We started that He made the ladies. Go to to Proverbs 12 and verse 4. Proverbs 12 and verse 4 that I've got listed up there. Again, I'm reading out of the uh, New King James. So I have to throw in a little bit on the negative side with some of these verses. But in Proverbs 12 and verse 4, it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is what? Mine says rottenness to the bones. So it, it can go both ways, can't it? But it's saying here is a crown that, that it's not for her to wear, but it's for the family, isn't it? She's a crown. That's her value. If you go to 19 and verse 14, Proverbs 19 and verse 14. We, we talked about one of these words before, but in, in Proverbs 19 and verse 14, it says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from where? From the Lord. You know, I, I think sometimes we all forget, and wives forget about the husbands, this was Lord-ordained. It wasn't something that just happened the Lord said, it's not good. You need a helper. We've got to understand, I'm trying to get brownie points, that women are smarter than we are. And they have value, this value that God gave. And I thought it was interesting that when you go back to 31, and look at verse 11 and 12, Proverbs, back to Proverbs 31. In verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. And then in verse 12, it says, She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Isn't it interesting that value is built around what? Trust, isn't it? It's built around the fact that he knows that what she does is going to be the right thing for him. Because the Lord set it up that way, didn't he? And then... He trusts her because she's going to do right, not only by him, but to the who? The family. So she got a big responsibility, doesn't she? She's got to take care of the family, make sure the husband's happy, make sure he gets off to work so he brings the money home, although you'll see that she does her some work too. But her value 
is not only her being the crown, but look at her worth through trust. That's huge, isn't it, for us? Any comments about that? Carrie's back here. I think he needs the mic unless you can talk loud. <laughs> I was just going to make a, a couple of comments connecting some statements that you made. So earlier in the evening, you stressed the importance of girls understanding Proverbs 31, making sure they read it. I'm going to also say it's equally important for the boys to understand and to read Proverbs 31 because, as you pointed out from Proverbs 19, I think that was it, that a poorly chosen woman as wife is rottenness to the bones of the husband. So it's critical that we teach the, the boys the value and the characteristics of this worthy woman. It's equally important that we train and teach our sons to trust in the wife and not to micromanage the wife. I'm glad you brought that up. I was trying to keep the brownie points on one side. Um, you know, there is part of this that said, God it was said that it was not good for you to be alone, right? And he made the ladies. Carrie makes a good point. Guys, we have to teach our boys, don't we, to make those right decisions, don't we? And to look and compare to what the virtuous woman said, is said about. And it's not easy. You don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. It's a, it's a tough road, isn't it? Any other comments? Not enough coffee tonight? Next, um, I put up here her character. When you think of character, what comes to your mind for, for the ladies or even for the guys? What does character mean to you? I'm not saying she's a character. I'm saying, what does character mean? Exactly. You're out of the church building. You're by yourself. You're with other people. Anything else? It's interesting that if, you, if you've come back to 31, that it, it talks about in verse 25, Look at 31 and 25. It says, strength and honor her clothing. She will rejoice in the time to come. You know, strength doesn't mean that she's powerful because we know that the lady is considered a weaker vessel. I'm talking about from strength. But what we're talking about is strength of the heart, strength of motivation, strength of concern for the family, strength of trust, and this honor, she should receive honor just like anyone else, shouldn't she? Because it says in 25, strength and honor are her clothing. We know that you don't wear strength and honor. What does that mean, that it's her clothing? 
Does it mean she gets up every morning and picks up strength and over here picks up honor? That's her character. It's something you see, don't you? That's what you see on that outward appearance of that person. They, they walk with dignity. They have this strength and honor that they show it for their family and, and see it. Another important part up there in verse 26, if you turn to 31 and 46, she opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, we all um, have at times, I call it hoof in the mouth disease, don't we? That we let something come out that that didn't sound really right. And what they're saying is the character of this virtuous or this particular worthy woman is she uses wisdom. That's what we're talking about with this book. She uses wisdom and prudence to think things through to say, how am I answering this? How am I responding to this conversation? How am I acting? Is it for us Christian-like? Is it something that when I talk to these people, they're going to know that I'm a Christian, that I'm not just somebody that's upset and bent out of shape about something? The other important part of it to me in verse 26, and I've missed this at times before, where it says, and her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, we, we've all studied the Beatitudes, and we say, blessed are the meek. We know that's not weak, is it? it it's control, basically, of who you are, what you are, what you say, and what you do and how you act. And here is this person that when you look at her, this worthy or virtuous woman, she's going to look for the kindness. She's going to use those words that help the people to understand she's the Christian. She's understanding what you're saying. We already talked about listening before. And now she's giving you some kindness. That's, a, that's an important character trait, that when you open your mouth, there's kindness, isn't there, according to this. Any comments about that? She's got to teach her children the kindness to others. That's a real good point. And Carrie, I, I was picking on the ladies saying that their daughters need to be taught this. But the virtuous woman can teach her son the same thing, can't she? She can do, say, this is where it comes from. The Lord said it, didn't he? And sometimes it's hard to teach the children that in the world we live in. Because there's a lot of things being shoved at them, isn't it? There's a lot of things coming through that can take their, their sight away from this and forget what we are as Christians. If you look at verse 27 of chapter 31, verse 27 of chapter 31, it says, She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. We are 
going to do a lesson on laziness or a sluggard. But here, if you, when you read this verse, she's a busy person. And we all know that their wives stay busy, don't they? <laughs> Whether you have kids or you don't, they're busy, aren't they? And grandmas and grandpas are busy, aren't they? With kids. And here, it is almost pushed out to us that she's not even thinking about being idle or lazy or a sluggard. She's talking about taking care of a family, taking care of a husband, and we'll go farther what she's doing around all this. She's staying busy. And her character is such that when you see her based on these verses, she's not. She's not trying to pass the ball off to somebody, is she? She's not trying to blame things and say, well, I'm not busy today, it was raining. Or I'm not busy today because I don't like that person. I'm not busy today because I really don't know that person. It says she's not idle. And her concern is being busy. And sometimes that's hard to do because you're worn out, aren't you? All of us are. Well, when you think about that, what's the result? When you go to verse 28 of this chapter, verse 28, it says, Her children rise up and call her an anathema. Her husband also knocks her down. Maybe I'm reading that wrong. Wait a minute. Her children rise up and call her what? Blessed. Her husband also, and what does he do? He praises her. So here you see a situation that what she does is obvious not just to the husband, but to who else? Everyone that sees her. But here, it's not only the children that bless her and praise her and say, thanks for putting up a great lunch for me today. But her husband wakes up and says, thanks, doesn't he? And he's concerned. And the praise comes directly to this person, doesn't it? Doesn't go through somebody else. It goes directly to her. You know, the result when you, when you think about putting it together and, and you see the character and you understand what their lives are all about, you understand that this virtuous woman is a busy person. <laughs> busy person all the time, isn't she? Well, I went on a little farther and said, what about her life? We've looked at value, character, the praise or blessings from her family. Now, what about her life? Well, if you go to 31, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 15 in the same chapter, verses 13 through 15. It says, She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships, she brings food from afar off. 
She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. There has been some talk about this virtuous woman by other people, theologians or people that have made reference that this probably this family was pretty well to do with this virtuous woman, but she still stayed busy. And if you read the first part, it says she looks for tasks that need to be done, and what is she willing to do? She's willing to complete them without what? Complaining. Um, when you think about that and think about her being busy and not complaining, it goes on a little farther and says she is always meeting needs of who? She's not saying, I got to be concerned about myself, right? She's not saying, it's a little bit early in the morning, go ahead and fix some eggs. She's saying that the family comes first. And it's interesting when it says that she gets up early, rises while it is yet night to prepare, and that she has satisfaction because it's not saying, oh, man, the alarm went off. She has satisfaction in taking care of her family when? Any hour, isn't it? Because we've already seen that she's been doing things and they've already praised her. So it's any hour. It's something continuous, isn't it? When you go further in chapter 31 and look at verse 16 through 19, back to the reading. She considers a field and buys it from her prophets. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. My understanding with the spindle, the wheel, uh, spinning wheel was way after the spindle, but this was stuff that sometimes they'd even have to hold the things as they were making yarn in their hand. They didn't have something to hold it. But here she is talking that not only is she wise and good in business, but she makes the proper preparation, doesn't she, for being a hard worker. When you talk about preparation, for the ladies to cook for us or to do anything, there's preparation, isn't there? There's preparation in all we do. And the preparation is usually is not ending after something has been served because what happens afterwards? Got to clean up, don't you? So it's a continuous process. And here you see that she's making this preparation. Then we go back to verse 20, and it says she extends her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hands to the needy. You know, when you see the time that's involved with, with kids and the family, you wonder how people have time to do some of these things, don't you? But what is part of her life? What is part of her character of a person that you're looking at like this 
She's going to still take care of those who need, aren't is she, according to this. She makes time is, is what I put on there for others. Well, when you look a little farther in verses 21 through 24, it says, She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself, her clothing is fine linen and purple. And I'm going to go ahead and read through 24. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. So here, not only a benefit of the family that they're taken care of during inclement weather or other problems, but she also takes care of her husband and understands him being at the gates. There's a probability that she was referring to one of the elders that would meet with people at the gates and that she was an asset to the community and even brought in extra income. So her life doesn't just say, I'm going to take care of the family, but her life says part of that taking care of the family is being industrious to the point of making sure everybody looks neat, don't they? They're clothed correctly. They're clothed according to the weather. So she's touching all the different areas when she does that. So we see value, character, praise from the family, and her life. Now, I guess the big question is, when you look at somebody like this, what's her secret for success? It's not a trick question. Do what? How you beat, see there, that's why I don't get brownie points. The women know. When you look at that, the secret of her success is, in verse 30 and 31, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who does what? Fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You know, when, when you see success, it goes back to what? goes back to the Lord, doesn't it? Just where we started in Genesis chapter 1. That here was her success. And remember when we did uh, the fear of the Lord, remember what we said that it involved knowledge of God, it involved hating evil, instruction of wisdom, um, hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. When you think of this woman doing this and, and the bottom line is fear of the Lord, you know, it starts basically uh, toward that in, in the very beginning because we said the theme of Proverbs was Proverbs uh, verse 7, the fear of the Lord, wasn't it? So we haven't stopped. We're with the virtuous woman and fear of the Lord is important. Any comments about that? Bruce has comment. One of the things that comes with fearing the Lord is, and she demonstrates this, she's not wasteful. Not wasteful with her time, with her talent, with her assets. 
Um, she, she is a good businesswoman. Um, she's shrewd uh, in exalting her family. And uh, I think it says a lot about those who do fear God. They're not wasteful with their time to, to teach, uh, to care for their family, their spiritual family, uh, to bring value and exaltation not only to God but to their their brothers and sisters and as Jesus said they take the low seed and, and left it's just a wonderful wonderful lesson that's summed up by by exactly this this character of her that she fears the Lord great point any any other points you know it's when you think of this virtuous woman and you read these points then you bottom line it with the fear of the Lord it, it's, that's the end isn't it she's got it she gets it because the Lord comes first I put in here a couple of slides to say what's happening in the world with women today from a modern time from a time that says, are they really looking at what's virtuous? Are churches really understanding the role of these great ladies? And maybe some of y'all know this, but in, in Franklin, Tennessee, the church there, which is a church of Christ, put a lady in the pulpit it's hard to see the picture of her because the light's up, but the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, puts a woman in the pulpit. And this is what was said. Um, her name is Lauren King. She became a preacher and prayer leader in the Church of Christ. Lauren is a student at Lipscomb University who wanted to broaden her talents unto public preaching. Patrick Mead, was the preacher there and he explained that basically was there because Lipscomb called they had a student pursuing a preaching major but needs an internship Mead said send her while it was just a matter of time before this church was to have a female preacher since they already were using instruments and music in public worship uh, Jerry Fight and his uh, kind of like our bulletin, put this in his bulletin. This is in Tennessee. Same thing in Tennessee. There was a professor there named John Mark Hicks. Some of y'all might have heard about egalitarianism. They're pushing the role of the woman away from the virtuous woman to a gifted woman. I feel like the virtuous woman's gifted anyway, but they're saying they need to use the gifts. He's a professor, was a professor in the Bible study at Lipscomb, and he said egalitarianism, the full equality of role relationships and functions within the leadership and ministry of the church. That's his definition. This position denies male headship as a theological value and opens all functions in the church or the assembly to women. They're 
evangelical, those who believe in Bible authority and non-evangelical versions of egalitarianism, he did a, a lecture at the Penny Ryle Church of Christ in Kentucky, and this was part of it. He also went on further to say about this that he, he further proposed in the same seminar, we must remove all barriers to the gospel in our culture. Notice he's not making reference to scripture, is he? In our culture. If those barriers are not grounded in theological values, if women are given the freedom by God to lead and serve in various capacities, if they are, are given the freedom, then we hinder the gospel when we practice communal life that ex excludes women from ministries that culture itself permits, encourages, and values. If the culture values it and God values it, but there's no scripture there, then when we prohibit it, what are we doing? We're hindering the gospel. There is a gender-inclusive for egalitarian churches of Christ. And I realize this is small, and I'll read it to you. In his uh, website, he says, the guidelines developed for listing churches are as follows. If the answer to one or more question is yes, then I will happily include the congregation in my directory. A is, are women welcome to use their gifts in leading public worship that's leading prayers, giving communion talks, leading singing, reading scripture, announcements, serving communion. B, are women welcome to use their gifts in pro proclamation by preaching from the pulpit? C, are women welcome to use their gifts and knowledge in biblical instruction to teach all age groups regardless of gender in Bible classes? Are women welcome to serve in leadership positions as pulpit minister, worship leader, deacon, elder, not including positions such as a children's minister or a, a women's minister? And then E, does the church publish a clear statement of purpose to be an egalitarian church or a gender-inclusive church on their website? And if you notice on the bottom, we prefer not to list churches where the only position for women is the children's or women's minister, though this often represents a small step forward. Many churches that presently have these, uh, presently have these staff positions do not allow women to serve or participate in other things of worship. Here is the listing of the churches. I'm sorry it came out blue, but they're in Nashville, they're in Memphis, Franklin, Murfreesboro is the Stone River Church of Christ, All Saints Church of Christ, uh, Fourth Avenue, which you saw the lady there, Sycamore View Church of Christ in Memphis, and uh, Grace Bridge Church of Christ, Woodmont, and you can go on and on. And part of this is a factor that says that their elders write a letter saying why they approve this. So that's part of it. This doesn't fit in the virtuous woman, does it? It doesn't even come close. This is what our kids are seeing. This is what we're seeing in other churches. Any comments about that? 
It appears that we are erasing men. <laughs> well, I. Right, right. Well, what we're erasing is this, authority. That's what we're erasing. I guess when you think about it, I don't want you to take this wrong, but why would you ladies want to be an elder? <laughs> I'm not being ugly. The other thing is, do you really want to preach <laughs> and do these things? That's not what the Lord set up from authority. And when we get away from authority, it starts just gradually, like that preacher said, well, we've already got instrumental music. We might as well have women preachers. And that's what's happening. The virtuous woman concept or the worthy woman concept is not there. She's, she's taken the place, hasn't she? <laughs> That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. We have plenty to do. I think you got more to do than, than to worry about this. And it's sad that it's happening. Thank you all for your attention.